God wants to bless your marriage. He wants you to have a great marriage. If yours is a struggling marriage, God wants to heal it and fix it. If you have a good marriage, God wants to make it better. And I believe that's what each of us want. Whether we've been married a long time or a short period of time, um, whatever season of life, whatever our, our, our status, whether it's a, a great marriage or a so-so marriage or a struggling marriage, we all want good relationships. We want a, we want a, a happy home. And God wants that for you as well. That's the reason we're in this sermon series called Marriage is a Team Sport. How, how do we work together as a team, as a couple, as a we, to make our marriage successful, to make it a, a winning marriage? heard about a little boy who attended his first wedding and afterward talking with a cousin. He was asked, how many women can a man marry? And real quickly he answered, 16. His cousin asked him, how do you know that? And the boy said, well, it's easy. All, all you have to do is add it up. It's just like the pastor said, four better, four worse, four richer, four poorer. <laughs> Solomon may have, may have had a lot of wives. God gives us one, one wife, one husband. But through whatever the circumstances, better, worse, rich, poor, good, bad, whatever the circumstances, what God wants is for our marriage to last. Not only last, but last happily. God wants you to be happy in your marriage, have a relationship in which you bless one another and you bless this world because you have a winning home through all circumstances. So to, to help us kind of wrap our minds around some of the practical aspects of, of what's required to have a good marriage, we're using a sports analogy. And I like sports, but another reason I'm doing that is it's, it's easier for men to, to hear stuff about marriage if it's just put in a language that connects with them. And most guys like sports. So they get it. I get it. We get this, right, guys? So we're going to use this sports analogy uh, to, to learn some things about a winning marriage. And last Sunday in introducing the series, I said that, that marriage is like a, a winning team. And, and teams in, in team sport that win, there, there are certain things they have to do well. They have to play offense well and play defense well. Defense is how you keep your opponent from scoring, advancing the ball uh, down the field or whatever. Keep them out of your end zone from scoring at your bucket, whatever the sport is. You, you, you keep your opponent from scoring. Offense is how do you advance the ball? How do you score? How do you get ahead? You want, you want to win. And if you're going to have a really good team, a winning team, you have to have a good defense. You have to have a good offense, typically. We also said the same thing is true in marriage. How do you protect your marriage? That's defense. Offense, how do you bless your marriage? How do you move it forward, make it better? In sports, you have to develop certain skills and techniques if you're going to be really good. Well, in marriage, there are skills you need. One of those is communication. We'll talk about that in a future week. You have to know how to talk. We're going to talk about how, how do you fight? How do you have a disagreement? Because there's a, a good way and an unhealthy way to do those things. And so we're going to talk about that. That's a skill that you need if you're going to have a winning marriage. Something else we're going to talk about is the last sermon in the series is, is chemistry. Really, really good teams that win have good team chemistry. The way they play together, interact as a team, but also on the court, off the court, on the field, off the field, usually liking each other, good relationships, good chemistry. So how do you have good chemistry in your marriage? How, how do you, you know, have fun? How do you like each other? You know, how do you have team chemistry? Because you have to have chemistry in your marriage as well. 
Last Sunday we focused on what I call philosophy, a coach's philosophy, which drives his decision making. And we looked at some of the things that Greg Marshall at Wichita State sent me about his philosophy and things he communicates to his team that's important to him. And it drives how he works with his players and what he expects of them. And your philosophy of marriage drives the decisions you make and what you're willing to do or aren't willing to do. And we talked last Sunday about God's philosophy of marriage, looking in Genesis at the very first marriage, one God created, Adam and Eve, and he said a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave or cling, be joined to his wife, they become one flesh, and that it's not about me, instead it's we. And a winning marriage focuses on the we more than the me. That runs contrary to much in our culture, but that's how you have a great marriage. The we, you want the we to win because when the we wins, me wins. And when the we loses, me loses. You got that? And if you want a good word for what that looks like, it's commitment. Commitment to the team, commitment to the we. And if you have that, you're willing to do whatever it takes to learn the skills and techniques to have a good marriage. If you're not committed, you won't learn them. You won't practice them. If you're committed to the we, to the one flesh relationship as a couple, you're going to do things to bless your marriage. If you're not committed, you won't. You won't be intentional about it. If you're committed, you will do those things to protect your marriage. If you're not committed, you'll take that for granted. You'll let your defenses down, your guard down, and your marriage will suffer. So we started with that because that's the foundation. That's so critical. If you're not committed, very little matters uh, when it comes to marriage, that, that's it. If you don't have commitment, if, you don't have, if you're not saying the we matters, and I want the we to win, okay, that's the starting point. Now today, I want us to focus on offense. How do you advance the ball? How do you score? How do you win? How do you, how do you move your marriage forward? How do you bless it? How do you make it better? I want to tell you up front, I'm doing something a little differently. I'm, gonna, I'm going to hold the Scripture passage until the end of the sermon. Normally it's kind of early and we talk about what's the scriptures teaching us. I want to do it just the opposite today. I want to hold the scripture to the very end of the sermon. I don't want anybody to be offended by that. Just understand when we get to that point, it'll make sense. You'll understand why I'm doing this. It's a little bit different, but I think I think if you'll just trust me, it'll work. Okay? You'll 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 get it. The scripture will make more sense to you. The way I want to use it today. So we're going to hold that to the very end. But I want I want to focus on offense. How do you and, and be very, very practical. How do you bless your marriage? How do you help your marriage and keep the passion and the love and the romance and all of that that going? And to sort of set the table and get us started, I want you to watch a video. This is a clip we got from ABC News. So if you'll give your attention to the screen real quick, we've got about a minute and a half video to watch. And finally, America's Strong. We team up with the Asbury Park Press, meeting a couple, showing us what's in their attic. Valentine's every day of the year. Inside this home in Toms River, New Jersey, a husband with pen in hand. You're my best friend. I know how perfect you are for me. And the best part of the whole trip is that you'll be there with me. Lucky me. I love you madly, my darling. Bill Bresden signing a love note to his wife. One note a day, every day, for nearly 40 years now. It's been every single day, and it still is. They mean everything, really, to me. That's right. Every night when most of us are setting our alarms, brushing our teeth, Bill is giving Chris a love note. I give her the cards just before we go to bed. Mm-hmm. I draw them sometimes during the day, sometimes I buy them if I happen to be somewhere, or if Chris is away, I mail them to wherever she's going to be. So many cards, so many notes, they're now stored in the attic. All the boxes of cards are stored up here. Sorted by year, by month. So all those and more are boxes of Chrissy cards. 25 boxes, 
thousands of cards. I'm crazy about her. That's the only way I can describe it. 1989. For Bill, it seems every day is Valentine's. And for Chris, every day brings a new note. I would be so heartbroken if there was a night when I didn't get a card. What's amazing is, is that even after all these years, it isn't waning. It isn't really waning. Incredible. The rest of us have some writing to do. <laughs> you know, most of us guys, if we can remember to get a card on our anniversary, her birthday, uh, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, we're doing really good, right? Wow. I'm not going to do what he did. Most guys aren't going to write a, a card every day. Now, if God inspires you to do that, great, go for it. Here's what I want you to take from that video, okay, from his story. He's intentional. He's proactive. He does something daily to say, you mean something to me. I value you. I care about you. I love you. He doesn't take it for granted, but every day he's finding a way to communicate value, love, commitment. And whatever strategy we as individuals and couples design for our home, life, marriage, season of life, all of that, those things matter. Being intentional, being proactive, doing something, doing it consistently to communicate love and, 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 and commitment on a regular, even daily basis, that's the key. So the things I'm going to talk about as we go forward this morning on offense, how do you bless your marriage, how do you move it forward, I want you to keep that in mind. You've got to be intentional. If you're not intentional, you won't do it. It has to be practical. It has to be an action, something you do. Now, words can be actions, okay, but, but you've got to get at it. And uh, so I just want to, I want, I want to get that in our mind. And I want to also show you something I've shown you before about the four quadrants of life management or time management. We're not going to go into detail. I just want to focus on the first two for a moment because I think this is a great tool to help us evaluate life and, and identify the things that matter and put a strategy, develop a strategy for taking care of the, of the really important things. Guys, go ahead and go to the, the, the quadrant slide, the next slide, please. Uh, the, the first two quadrants, number one and two at the top, left and right, Things that are important and urgent, quadrant one, those are things that matter. And when we say urgent, it's not just that they're important. They're urgent because there's a deadline. They're screaming, fix me now. There's a crisis. The bill is due tomorrow. You have cancer. You have a deadline at work. Important and urgent, right? Screaming now, now, now. And you're up against it. Quadrant two is the key to a well-lived life. Quadrant two are things that are important and they're not urgent. When I say not urgent, it doesn't mean they don't matter. They're important. And in fact, they're the most important things in life. But they're not urgent because they're not a crisis. The problem is we, uh, we neglect quadrant two things because there's so many quadrant one things that are important and urgent and demanding, pay attention to me now, that we neglect the quadrant two and uh, until they become a crisis, until they become urgent. Your health is quadrant two. But if you don't take care of yourself by eating right, exercise, etc., eventually it'll move into quadrant one and become a, a crisis, right? You don't want that to happen. You want to keep it in quadrant two. Urgent? I mean, I mean important, but non urgent. Your, your, for instance, let me get, preaching is quadrant two for me. It's important. But I never want preaching to be urgent. I never will be in a position where on Saturday and Sunday morning I'm trying to figure out what I'm preaching. Because I'm not doing a good job if I do that. 
I'm, that, that's why I do study retreats and so on. I want to be prepared. I want to give you the best I can give you that's under God. Listen, I don't want it to be urgent. I, it's important, and I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to be ahead of the game. I want to, I want to, be, I want to be my best. Your marriage is quadrant two. You put that ring on each other's hands, and, man, it's important, and you're committed to each other, and then life happens, right? All the stuff with life, all the important things in life that are urgent, that are quadrant one, say now, 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 and you keep putting your marriage, your we, on the back burner. But over time, it starts crying out, fix me. Pay attention to me. We're not happy. What's wrong with us? And you've allowed your marriage to move from quadrant two to quadrant one from important and not urgent because it was healthy. Now all of a sudden it's not healthy. It's getting weaker and it's urgent. It's a crisis. You want to have strategies that prevent your marriage from ever being quadrant one. And if your marriage is right now in quadrant one, important and urgent, you've got to design some strategies that push it back over into quadrant two where it's healthy and no longer in a crisis. And that's going to require some intentional decisions, some intentional behavior, consistency, and some time. So having said that, I want to talk about some very practical things in the minutes I have remaining, four things. And, and I'm just going to tell you up front, I can't say everything I'd like to say or you need me to say on each of these four practical suggestions for offense, for moving your marriage, for blessing your marriage, making it better and healthy and happy and all of that. I could spend, I could spend a week or two on each of these four things, giving, you, know, just, just, you know, just digging deep. All I can do is touch the servers. You're going to have to dig some, do some digging on your own. You're going to have to read some books. You're going to have to talk. You're going to have to, get some, you're going to, have to learn some things on your own. But let me just get it started, get the conversation started in your life and in your mind, okay? Here's, here's the first practical suggestion. You need as a couple, the we, to take time to connect with each other every day. And when I say connect, I'm not talking about talking about the kids, talking about the chores, talking about the bills and the responsibilities. I'm talking about connecting with each other on a love level, on an emotional level, on a we level. Take time, and, and it takes time to do it. And I want to encourage you to think, how do we do that, even if briefly, every day? Bill, in, in the video, he's 74 years old. Chrissy is 74 years old. You know what he's doing? Even at age 74, every day, he's making sure they connect for the moment or two when he gives her that card every night going to bed. They are connecting. Not on a, what bills are due tomorrow, wonder what the grandkids are doing, they are connecting on a we level every day. What's your strategy for connecting with your loved one, with your spouse, your husband, your wife on a regular, consistent basis? See, here's what happens. Get up in the morning, get ready, she gets ready, he gets ready. Breakfast, maybe. Out the door, kids to school, running late, this, that. High five. Work, get home, cook, clean the house. Get the kids a bath, put them to bed, pay the bills, cut the grass, fix the leak in the faucet, on and on it goes, right? Go to bed, exhausted, get up the next day and start it all over. And we're in the midst of that. And all of that is the we. 
Because if you're not careful, you become, you become a business operation. Not, not a married couple in love with each other. Where's the we? Where, where's the connecting? Where do, where, how, do you, how do you in your life connect? What, do you, what are you doing to connect? And, and because that couple connect, once we start doing life as a family, we, we're, we fall in love and we get married and we want kids and we have those babies and then it's about doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. And you stop being a couple other than your co-CEOs of this organization. And that doesn't work long term. It naturally happens. You've got to stop it from happening. Now, you've got CEO responsibilities as a husband and as a wife. But you have to also have a relationship of love and passion as a husband and wife. And so what is your strategy for having time to keep that alive? Because couple time isn't urgent, it gets pushed to the back burner. Listen, social research tells us, listen to this, it's real simple, that couples who spend time alone with each other, not talking about kids and responsibilities, but we time, just once a week, just once a week, are three and a half times happier, or three and a half times more likely to be very happy in their marriage than couples who don't do that. Just once a week pays that kind of dividends. Imagine if you try to do it every day. Now listen, it's not, the issue is not just kids, okay? I'm going to address that. It's not just kids. Listen to me. Research tells us that couples, whether they have kids or not, couples today in America spend less time on we, less time alone together as couples than couples in America did in the past. And when you think about the fact that in the past couples had more kids than most couples have today, that's eye-opening. One study looked at couples and the, the amount of time they had as we in 1975 compared to today. Listen, couples without kids, no kids, either newlyweds or empty nesters, couples without kids. Today, spend 26% less time together than couples without kids did in 1975. Couples with children at home, Today, spend 31% less time together as we than couples with kids did in 1975. It's a cultural problem, and we've allowed this cultural dynamic to shape our attitude and decisions, and the we is suffering because of it. The marriages are struggling because of it. Now, this, this, is, this is genius. You need to write this down. This, th- these are some of the most important words you'll ever hear right now. You ready? You got your pen ready? Love takes time. I told you it was genius. It's brilliant. Love takes time. When you were dating, you invested in we, got to know each other, fell in love. 
What makes you think because you have a ring on your finger and you've said I do to each other that suddenly that dynamic has changed and love no longer needs any time? Well, I've got jobs, we've got a home, we've got kids. I, I get that. Hey, I raise kids. Moniz and I raise kids. We both work. I get that. Okay? You don't tell them anything I don't know. But love still takes time. And you can't put we and time as we on the back burner for 25 years till the kids are gone and expect just to pick it up and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It doesn't work that way. Am I making the point? Time. Now, here's the thing. I know raising families hard. I, I, I understand that. But, you know... Um, couples in the past did it you do know that being a parent is not something new right we're all proof of that (laughs) the best thing you can do for your kids listen to me the best thing you can do for your kids is to keep your marriage strong you know why because marriage listen to this marriage is the foundation of of a family. You have a family. You have kids because you wanted to be with each other and you want. Marriage is the foundation. You ever, you ever seen a house that had a bad foundation? What happens to a house on a bad foundation? It begins leaning, gets unlevel. Cracks appear in the wall, right? If your marriage, which is the foundation of your family, is bad and it sinks and it cracks cracks will appear in the family and the kids pay for it some of you adults are hurting today because you grew up in a family that had a cracked foundation your parents had a cracked marriage and you hurt Don't make the mistake of trading a couple relationship for a family-centric relationship. Now, before anybody gets mad at me for saying that, I'm not saying family's not important. One of our passions is Christ-centered homes. Family matters. God created the home. But I'm telling you, if you make family-centered take precedence over we so that we dies, the family pays for it. And like I said last Sunday, God's design is that kids leave you. Just like you left your parents. The we outlast your role of raising dependent children. But if you don't take care of the we while you're raising the kids, it won't outlast them. suggestions practical you may do some of these none of these but some suggestions how about spend the first few minutes whether it's three minutes five minutes ten minutes when you get home focused on we instead of chores not a lot of time but doesn't always take a lot during the day 
whether it's a voicemail, an email, a text message, communicate to your, your spouse, thinking about you, love you, looking forward to seeing you tonight. Not just about the kids, who's going to pick up the kids, what we're going to do for dinner, but hey, just thinking about you. So simple, but it works because it says you matter. When you're together, put down your iPhone, your iPad, the remote control. Here's a novel idea. Eat dinner together. Eat dinner together. If your schedules allow, meet for lunch. Schedule time on your calendar. Block out some time. Do it ahead of time so when you get to that part of the calendar, it's already there. Block it out. And guys and gals, listen, it's okay to say no to something so you can say yes to something more important. And if you don't learn how to say no to some things, even to some things your kids want to do, you won't have the ability to say yes to your marriage. All right, got to run on. I spent most of my time on that one. I got three more. Here we go, real quick. Number two, express affection and appreciation for each other every day. Couples, marriage was in trouble. They ended up filing for divorce and the wife was talking to a friend and through her tears she said he worked so hard for a year to take us on that amazing vacation to Hawaii but all, all I wanted was, was for him to put his arm around me at church. Small things done regularly, small things done daily are more important than an occasional big thing. Because if you don't do the small things along the way, by the time you get to the big things, you're going to be so mad at each other and there's going to be so much issue, so many issues, you're going to fight the whole time you're trying to do the big thing. It's the daily small things that make life, the daily small things that make a marriage. One, one social researcher compiled a list of simple things that, that men and women like now, not every man and woman, but the majority, typically 80 to 90% of men and women like these things. If you're married to one who doesn't like one of these, hey, there are exceptions, but typically. And so here's a way a wife can show affection to her husband. Notice his efforts and sincerely thank him. When a guy does something, don't just think, well, that's his duty, that's his job, he's supposed to do that. No. Guy, listen, ladies, if you get this, you'll be, you'll be far ahead of the game. Men are little boys who want their mother's approval for everything they do. And now you're mama. No, I'm not. You get my point. Listen, if, if recognize what he does and say thank you. And then tell him, you do a great job. You did a great job at that. Don't just, well, that's what is expected. Listen, when somebody does what's expected, it still deserves a thank you. Are you only going to thank your spouse when they go above and beyond? It's not much of a relationship. The small courtesies. Small courtesies. Brag on them in front of others. Ladies, one of the worst things you can do is, is, is talk bad about your husband in front of other ladies. Don't embarrass your husband in, in public. Brag on your husband in front of other people. Little things. Let them know you desire him sexually. 85% of men like that. God made them that way. Number five, make it clear to him that he makes you happy with your words, a smile, a big hug. 88% of men like that. Five ways a husband can show affection to his wife. Hold her hand. 
even in public. Did you notice when that old couple was on the couch, you know, um, Chrissy and, and what's his name? <laughs> I don't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, they're 74 years old, sitting on the couch being interviewed. Did you, did you notice his hand was over on her lap? They were holding hands. Hold her hand. You go to a movie, hold her hand. You sit in church, hold her hand. You're in public, walk, hold her hand. Now, if you're married to the 10% of women who don't like to be touched, then don't do that. But if you're married to the other 90%, hey, guys, there you go, free advice. Leave her a message, like I said a moment ago, in your voicemail, text message, all that. Hey, thinking about you, love you. When you're sitting together at church someplace else, hey, don't be ashamed to put your arm around her. Reach over and put your hand on her knee. Now, if she likes to be touched her, you know, appropriately. Touch communicates care. Tell her sincerely she's beautiful. And if you're in a funk and grumpy, don't withdraw. Pull yourself out of it. All right. Number three, go on dates and keep romance alive. Go on dates and keep romance alive. You've heard that one before. And practically speaking, you have to schedule dates because if you don't schedule them, they won't happen. You'll never have time. You have to Book it. Make an appointment. Schedule it. Just because you schedule something doesn't mean it's not romantic. Some people think this silly idea, if it's not spontaneous, spare the moment, it's not romantic. That's oh, Get over that. Plan a date. Just put it on the calendar. Before your marriage, dating was how you got to know each other, fell in love. After you are married, dating is how you stay connected and deepen the love. And if you give up on dating, romance can fade. And by the way, here's a good tip, okay? You've got to do the daily things to stay connected, and you've got to do the daily things to deal with the little issues because if you don't, they'll pile up and pile up, and then when you go on your date, all you'll do is fight. Because a date is not the time to fix stuff. A date is the time to date, to court each other, to deepen love. Don't fix it on a date. Fix it before the date. You got that? That's not that genius but it works. All right. Dave and Claudia Arp, who do marriage conferences and write on marriages, one of the, one of the things they say that they get a lot of response to is say, if you want, you want to have a great marriage, just give your marriage 20 seconds a day. Are you willing to invest 20 seconds a day in your marriage? Here's, what you, here's, here's how you do it. In the morning before you leave for work, give each other a passionate kiss. Not a peck, but a passionate kiss. When you get home from work, Give each other another passionate kiss, just 20 seconds. It'll end up being more than 20 seconds, but take 20 seconds. You know, passionate kiss in the morning, passionate, not a peck, passionate kiss. Get this. You, you come home, you come home from work, both of you, one of you is there, and the other one comes in, opens the door. Did you get the mail? You forgot to take out the trash. What's for dinner? And all of a sudden, you set a tone for the evening. But you come in and you greet one another. Monisa and I were talking about this this morning. You know, greet, greet each other at the door. Because you're still excited. I remember, I remember coming home when kids were little, and I could hear those feet running through the house. Those little kids, daddy's home. Be that way with each other. Silly, it works. The little things. 
and give each other that kiss and watch the tone it sets for the evening as then you deal with the mail and the bills and the kids and the meals and etc. Set the tone. If you don't lay the foundation, if you don't set the tone, you don't have much chance, much hope. Is this practical enough? Set the tone. Keep romance alive. All right, number four, the last one. Build a marriage support system. Build a marriage support system. There's not a lot of positive support and encouragement for, for, for marriage and for couples in our culture. you agree with that? So you've, you've got to be intentional about creating that for yourself. And one of the things I want to suggest you do is find older couples who have a great marriage. Get to know them. Our first service this morning has more older people. So I told them to, hey, connect with you guys. Invite you over to the house. Hang out here some Sunday and, and oh, there's, an, there's an older couple and they're holding hands and they look happy. We've, we've got, we had couples in our, we had two couples in our first service last Sunday who've been married 66 years. Did you hear that? Two couples. We, we had, I don't remember how many it was, but, but a large part of that room was standing couples who've been married 40 years or longer. You're not going to learn how to have a great marriage from your friends. They're still trying to figure out the stuff you're trying to figure out. So develop some mentoring relationships with older successful couples. Now, you do need other couple friends, so get connected in Sunday school and small groups and so on. You connect groups. You need to be connected with other couples. Uh, learn about marriage. Read books. Talk about it. Go to Take a marriage class at church together. You know, just saying. Go home and talk about what the preacher talked about today. said, I like what he said there. What he said over there, that's stupid. But go home and talk about it. Go home and talk about it. Get a counseling checkup. All right? Now, I'm going to offer you something. It'll cost you $35 if you want it. Every time I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I require couples to do an online assessment. It costs $35. You'll pay for it. I'm not paying for it. You've got to pay for it if you want it. And when you take it, I get this almost 30-page printout about your marriage. You complete a series of questions independent of each other online. And one of the things it gives me is a bar graph. Now, this was a couple I did some counseling with, and they were in deep, deep, deep trouble because it scores you in all these areas, and they, this scores you 0 to 100. They scored a 0 in communication and conflict resolution. Problems. So we were able to talk about those things. Now, I've got, just to encourage you, here's another couple. They did not score below 80 on anything. Now, if you want to do this, if you'll contact me via email, I'll set it all up. You can complete it, pay for it. Now, I cannot, they won't allow me just to give you this. You have to meet with me or one of the pastors on staff who's trained in this, and we will go over it with you and give it to you. I can't, I'm not allowed to just give it to you, Okay. That's the agreement I have to have with the company that, let, that has this for us. It's a great tool. And, 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 and that's just one thing it does. There's a whole lot of stuff. So if you're a couple and you want to check up on your marriage, where do we want some help? Where do we, what can we grow in, get better at? That's available. Let me know, and I'll work with you to set it up, and we'll go forward, okay? All right. Now, you got your Bibles? Let me wrap this up. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. In chapter 1, the Apostle John is exiled on the island of Patmos and he has a vision in which Jesus appears. And Jesus is walking 
among seven golden lampstands. Those seven golden lampstands, we're told in chapter 1, symbolize seven churches in Asia, or what we today would call Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, seven local churches in that time period. Jesus is holding seven uh, stars. Those seven stars in chapter 1 are the angels of the church. In chapter 1, the angels of the church are the pastors. So chapters 2 and 3 are what Jesus tells John to tell the pastor and church, those seven pastors, those seven churches, the letters to those seven churches, if you will. And the first one is to the church and the pastor in the city of Ephesus in chapter 2. And so Jesus is speaking to John about the Ephesus church. And he says in verse 1, to the angel, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, Jesus, The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the one who's walking among the churches, Jesus, says this. And here's what he said to the church. I know your deeds. Your toil, your perseverance, you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. Verse 3, you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Guys, Jesus says to this church, you are doing a lot of things well. You're hanging in there. You haven't quit. You're doing some things right. You're doing some things good. But, verse 4, don't you hate it when a sentence begins with but? But, I have this against you. Church, here's where you're struggling. Here's where you're messing up. You have left your first love. You're still doing the right stuff as a church, as Christians, but you've allowed your passion for me, Jesus says. You've allowed your love for me, your enthusiasm for me, your intimacy with me, Jesus says. You've allowed that to wane. You've left your first love. You remember how excited you were when you first got saved? And now you still do the religious stuff, the good stuff, but your intimacy with Christ... Your love, relationship with Jesus, you've left it. Christians do that all the time. Churches do that all the time, right? Well, is it not true that that's a good description of what happens to a lot of marriages? Start out with such passion and love, and they keep doing good things. They work hard. They persevere. They toil. They strive. They do. They, they work. They sweat. But they let the first love die. Does that sound like a lot of marriages? Does that maybe sound like your marriage? You're still working, but man, you've you've let it. And so here's what Jesus told the church in Ephesus to do in verse 5. He said, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first got saved? What's what's wrong? What's changed? What's going on? You remember how you paid attention to each other when you were dating and when you were first? You, you paid attention. You had some we. You focused. Guys, you chased her. Ladies, you got out of the sweatpants and dressed up pretty when he came to get you. Right? Remember from which you have fallen. And then he says in verse 5, repent. Christian church, 
You've stopped with your passion for Jesus. You need to repent. Repent means to to own it, to, to be honest with yourself. Repent means to change direction. In marriage, own it. Be honest. Yeah, you know, we've stopped paying attention to the we. And i got to admit that. And then repentance means you change direction. You go a different direction. You change behavior. Because if you keep doing what you are doing, you will get the results you're already getting. If you want it to be different in your marriage, you've got to do something different. So repent. Change direction. If you're not willing to change, if you're not committed to changing direction, don't expect anything to change. And do the deeds you did at first. Now, Monisa and I have been married 33 years. We, we don't do everything exactly the way we did it 33 years ago. We're a different season of life. And yes, we had less time when we were raising our kids than we have today. I like the empty nest. It's a lot of fun. But through every season of life, you have to find ways in that season to do the kind of things you did when you fell in love, where you focus on the we, you focus on the romance, on the courtship, on the us. And maybe you don't have quite as much time, but you better find some time on a consistent basis. What's your strategy for doing now the kind of things you did in the beginning? I can't figure that out for you. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. All I can do is give you some tips and ideas. But you've got to figure it out for you because every personality is different. Every couple is different. But you've got to figure it out. And you've got to figure it out together. And then he says, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus said to the church, Ephesus, if you don't get this right, you're going to die as a church. And guys, listen, if we don't get this right as couples, what happens to our marriage? All right. I want to show you a quote. I want to end with this, a quote. Love is a verb, not a feeling. You don't feel like stuff? Do the right stuff and watch what happens to your emotions. If you wait until your emotions get right to do what is right, you will never do what is right. Ricky, you've been a coach. Sometimes an athlete just has to drag himself out of bed and exercise and practice whether he wants to or not, right? You don't always feel like it. As a husband, as a wife, you don't always feel like doing what you need to do, but do it and you'll be glad you did it. If you don't, if you wait till you feel like it, you'll end up being lazy. Love is a verb, none a feeling. Feelings come. Behavior affects feelings. Emotions matter, but you can't live just with emotions. You've got to consistently do the right stuff, and then the emotions will take care of themselves. The passion will take care of itself. Here's the last quote. The grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> you get that? Grass is greener where you water it. What are you doing to water your marriage? Your love, your romance, your passion, your we, your us. Next week we'll talk about how do you protect it. But guys, protecting it is not enough. You got to bless it. You got to bless it. You got to bless it. You got to score some points. You got to move ahead. If you want to win in marriage, what's your strategy? Maybe the best decision you can make today as a couple and as an individual is to go home 
and have some couple time where you talk about it. What are we going to do? What are we going to change? What's our strategy for blessing us? And you know what you'll find? Like we said last when the we wins, the me wins. Let me add one thing to that. When the we wins, your kids win. You don't have to sacrifice your kids for we. But the problem is most couples, too many, too, maybe that's the wrong statement, but too many couples sacrifice the we for the kids. And you can't do that. You can't let that happen. That's a, that's a mistake. The we matters. All right? Okay? Let's stand. And I want, to, I want to invite you to, to pray, talk to God. Go home and talk as a couple, but talk to God here this morning. Kneel, kneel here at the altar and talk to God. Kneel as a couple and pray. Pray for another couple that you, 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 you care about and you're concerned about them. Come and pray for another couple. Like Will saying earlier, you need to put Jesus at the center. Maybe this morning the starting place is for you to, to, to say, you know what, I, I go to church, but I really haven't put Jesus at the center of my life. I haven't put Jesus at the center of our marriage. And that's what I need to do. And you need to come as an individual, come as a couple and say, you know what, we're going to put Jesus in the middle of this thing. Some of you need to join this church. We invite you to become a member of First Baptist. Others need to accept Christ. So let's sing together. And you come and make the decision that God's leading you to make right now. Let's sing.